Sure. Thanks for having me, Julian. Um, so my name is Lauren. You can call me that. Um, I got my bachelor's of science in psychology at the University of Florida, and I found that I wanted to apply it further. So I went ahead and I got my graduate degree at the university at Albany. And throughout my graduate studies, I got the chance to start working clinically. So I provided individual therapy, group therapy, cognitive assessment in a variety of different settings. Um, I've worked in outpatient mental health centers, community mental health centers, rural hospital settings, more urban hospital settings, and college counseling centers as well. So I've um, gotten a chance to see different parts of the community, treat different parts of the community, and have a pretty diverse client base um, while I got to do that. Absolutely. I I very much agree. And I think just both of us talking about it now is breaking down a barrier in itself. I too identify as Latina and I was brought up in a traditional kind of immigrant family. My, my mom came from Cuba. My father came from Panama. Um, a lot of Spanish in the household as well as English. But of course, while we were trying to live the American dream, enforcing those Latino values along the way. And I think that now us being first generation Americans, being able to sit down and talk about psychology in the Latino community and focusing on mental health issues that are pervasive within our community is in itself um, groundbreaking, even if it's just us, you know. Sure. Yes, it's something that I came across um, when I was writing my dissertation. The Hispanic paradox has been studied and featured in lots of different empirical research, just showing exactly what you pointed out, that um, immigrants, first-generation immigrants, so people that were born in a place other than the U.S. and then came to the U.S., tend to have better mental health than um, first-generation American um, like they're the next generation that they had here. And I think there's a lot that goes into that. I don't think it's as black and white as we might want to think it is. Uh, I don't think it's kind of like this magic 
uh, potion that, oh, you were born in a Latino country or Hispanic country, and so you were somehow endowed with gifts that helped (laughs) uh, buffer against mental health issues. I think it's more about the way that we're dealing with it, the way that we're addressing it, the way that we're talking about it. And so for, let's say, our parents' generation, um, it was just a lot more of a taboo topic. Um, It was addressed more from the perspective of like somatic complaints or physical complaints. So instead of saying, oh, I'm anxious or, oh, I'm so stressed, it was maybe manifesting itself more as, oh, my my stomach's really, um, you know, mixed up, I'm nauseous, or, oh, I have, you know, a pounding headache, and um, other kind of more, I guess, esoteric concerns were addressed from, like, a spiritual perspective. So, oh, like, some sort of spiritual conflict, and that could be resolved through prayer, through, um, you know, confession, through talking to a priest, or going to church, or Um, whatever it might be. So I think that part of it is that there is something about Hispanic values that can be very protective. So the focus on family, the focus on spirituality, the focus on um, kind of cohesion and being collaborative, I think that can buffer against some mental health concerns. But I think a part of it is also just a difference in conceptualizing what is mental illness, what is something worth pursuing treatment for. And this newer generation of Latinos um, are really getting exposed to a culture where it is a little bit more safe to say, yeah, I want to see a therapist. I want to get therapy. Exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's once again, and this is so prevalent in the psychology community, but we always make a joke about how the answer to so many questions is simply, it depends. And that can be not satisfying whatsoever because we want definitive answers. However, nothing is 
that clear. So you mentioned religion and yes, religion can be a protective factor for mental health in the Latino community. Um, having faith, engaging in prayer, um, you know, I'm, and I'm sure there's scientific uh, support behind that in terms of like prayer can uh, serve as an affirmation. It can serve as almost like a mindfulness activity. Um, but then there's the other side of the coin where it can contribute to stigma and this idea of, oh, you know, um, there's something that you're doing. There's some sin that you're committing that's calling for this on you, or there's, you know, some, some demon at work or some, you know, some shortcoming on your part that's somehow inviting this, um, maladjustment into your life. And so studies have started making distinctions between positive and negative religious coping in the literature. So positive religious coping would be exactly focusing on that idea of faith, of getting strength from a higher power, of being able to pray and have this space where you can kind of vent and ask for what you need. But then there's that other element of negative religious coping where, oh, if I do something wrong, I'm going to be punished by this higher power. Um, and, and that can be very damaging. I mean, imagine this idea that you're already struggling with anxiety, depression, what have you. And then this idea on top of it that, oh, great, there must have been something I did to deserve this. So you can imagine, I'm sure, what how that could add to you know, the, the distress. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely glad that you brought that up. And so much of Latino culture is rooted in traditional gender roles in Christianity. So of course, you see the influence of those showing up later in these values that affect mental health. So we touched on, of course, Christianity, which, you know, has 
all sorts of oppressive beliefs around uh, homosexuality, around, um, you know, premarital sex, around a lot of um, body autonomy, etc. And then, of course, there are the traditional gender roles. So when even even Spanish, and, and I've heard you say Latinx, and I know that's becoming a lot more popular to use because of um, an effort to reduce kind of like this focus on a binary gender construct. I mean, I think that can get I don't want to get into, uh, I don't want to like go off on a tangent on that, but I think that can be tricky too, because we're deciding, okay, what part of it is oppressive or what part of it, um, is rooted in exclusion. And then what part of it is just the way in which Latinos use language. So everything has a gender, you know, la mesa, the table, you know, and, does that really have much to do with it? But anyway, so you touched on machismo. And yes, machismo is a barrier to seeking mental health treatment. It's a barrier to deciding how you're going to live your life if you're a Hispanic male. So if you're uh, if you're a Latino man and you're pressured by these values associated with machismo, it can be very limiting. It, it can dictate how you dress, how you talk, how the relationships you form, the dynamics within the relationships that you form. And it's definitely not congruent with machismo to ask for help. And that's a huge barrier to seeking mental health treatment in the Latino community. Um, and then I just so happened to study the female counterpart of machismo called marianismo and so that's that's women's traditional gender roles that they're pressured with and so for research purposes they try to distill what marianismo really is what's this construct and they identified five different dimensions of it so this idea of having to be a family pillar so a source of strength for the family responsible for the family, absorbing those um, responsibilities. Spiritual pillar. So once again, the Christianity piece comes into play. So this idea that you're responsible for your family having faith in a higher power, um, your family going along with Christian traditions and Christian requirements, um, Another dimension of Marianismo would be virtuous and chaste. So once again, influenced by Christianity, this idea that women have to be pure, have to abstain from any premarital sex, have to abstain from um, any sort of activities or behaviors that highlight their sexuality, especially if they're um, if, if it's prior to getting married, prior to having their own family. And then um, another dimension would be being subordinate to others. So there's this expectation that Latinas, exactly how you mentioned this idea of a hierarchy with straight males, straight white Latino males being at the top, um, you know, the idea that females, they're, they're not at the top and it's very hard for them to be at the top because right 
established within these gender roles, these traditional gender roles, is the idea that they're subordinate. So they look to their husband, they look to their father, they look to their brother, whatever it might be, to make big family decisions or um, anything of that nature. And then finally, the fifth dimension of Marianismo that the research has parsed out is this idea of silencing yourself to maintain harmony. And so imagine if within your traditional gender roles is this idea of, you know what, don't don't rock the boat, don't stir the pot. If you have a problem, if you have an issue, if you have some sort of dissenting perspective, keep it to yourself, essentially. And, and that, will, that will maintain harmony in the family. Um, that will prevent any conflict. And, and this, it, in that entire message is the idea that what you're concerned with what you're personally struggling with is of less importance than the family as a whole. Um, whether it be your partner, your children, um, the family unit is the priority over the individual. And of course that's going to show up in terms of mental health issues, not only just everyday social difficulties, um, everyday struggles, but on a larger scale, these pressures exacerbating anxiety, exacerbating depression, exacerbating whatever other comorbidity there might be, and maybe preventing them from seeking help, or even when they do seek help within the therapeutic setting, not being completely forthright, not going into detail about what's going on or, I mean, there's just so many ways in which it can interfere with really effective mental health treatment.
Sure, definitely. I mean, I can give my perspective in at because in the state of Florida, psychologists actually can't prescribe psychotropic medication. But of course, within our profession, we have to be familiar with it anyways. And we also have to be familiar with judicious use of it and when it's appropriate to recommend um, consulting a psychiatrist. But it's exactly like you said, the issue is that even though adolescents, uh, Latino adolescents probably experience um, equivalent rates of depressive symptoms, they are half as likely to actually use antidepressants. And I know that there just happens to be a stigma, of course, in the in the Latino community around um, around psych medication, around psych treatment, um, and that can come from, you know, I'm just, I'm just racking my brain because that can come from so many different angles. And so one, one issue there is the idea that, like you said, there are different ways to intervene. So of course, um, therapists recommend exercise. They recommend different forms of behavior activation where you're doing positive activities, um, you know, social support, et cetera. But at the end of the day, there are certain interventions that won't be the same as physically increasing the level of serotonin in your brain, the level of um, norepinephrine in your brain. And so we need to assess a little bit more holistically, okay, who needs what and to what extent and I mean, studies have shown that a lot of times therapy in itself can be as effective as antidepressant medications, but that's the issue. Some, some Latinos are not getting either. 
So it's not about this or that or both. It's about none at all. And that's the, that's the main issue. So most um, Latinos tend to seek mental health uh, support from their primary care provider. So it's kind of in line with what I mentioned before, this idea of being more comfortable around physical complaints. Like, oh, uh, you know, I just notice I'm super tired all of the time. Or I notice that I'm not sleeping at all. Or I notice that, you know, every morning before work, I get, you know, a horrible stomach ache. Or after I come back from school, I have a really bad headache. So this idea with it being a lot more comfortable to point out symptoms like that um, and therefore doing it with their primary care provider, their physician. Um, and even so probably only around like 10% of Latinos do that um, or so the statistics say, and probably half of, of that percentage is the, the proportion that actually seek out a mental health specialist. Um, stigma is a huge part of that and this idea of oh the black and white view of oh if I'm getting therapy am I crazy am I um, selling out my family because I'm going to be talking about my family I'm going to be talking about maybe childhood trauma talking about um, issues that I have within the family you know within my relationship with the people that I have closest to me there's this element of we don't talk about the family outside of the family as part of the culture. And so um, I think that can be a, a, a barrier to seeking out mental health treatment too. And then of course, it's about how do we communicate that there is an issue. So depending on who it might be, is it being discussed in Spanish? Is it being discussed in English? What is the what is the language that the person is most comfortable using? And studies have shown that the evaluation is different um, when it's English versus Spanish, um, and that uh, Latinos tend to be more frequently undertreated than their white counterparts. So this idea that there's something's getting lost in translation. So Part of it is how it's being expressed and part of it is how it's being interpreted. And I think therapists tend to be a little bit more attuned to the ways in which people of their own culture might frame mental health concerns or might um, minimize some of their symptoms. And so they get used to that particular cultural language, that type of expression. And so it can be harder for them to pick up on those kind of idiosyncrasies with somebody that's not that, you know, somebody that's part of a culture that they may not understand. And so we know that most uh, mental health practitioners, most physicians are not are not Hispanic. So there's always going to be that part of the barrier, too. I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of went in my own direction with it, but um, I was just thinking about the issue from from those different angles.
Yeah, absolutely.
I appreciate that. And, and I agree that within the black community, even within the white community as well, and with the Latino community, there are these kind of cultural enclaves where there is an attitude of just suck it up and deal with it. Um, or, you know, oh, what are you crazy? Or, um, you know, we don't, we don't talk about our family outside of, outside of this house or, you know, what are you doing selling us out like that? Or, um, you know, whatever the stigma might be, I think it occurs for all sorts of different types of people, but you're right. At the end of the day, there are much, um, fewer Latino, Latina psychologists and therapists out there. And I think it could help. I think it could help um, this idea that, okay, there's people like me dispersing services that I need. But I think on a larger scale, it comes back down to the training of all mental health uh, practitioners. So for example, in my counseling psychology graduate program, there may not have been, let's say, that many uh, Latino students, but a huge, but there was diversity and a huge part of our training was focused on how to deliver culturally sensitive services. How do we increase our awareness so that we actually just realize, hey, somebody's culture makes a difference. And not only that, somebody's perspective on their own culture makes a difference. So you use this very important word, empower, when you were talking about working with Latinas. And yes, I agree, absolutely, being a Latina. I, I love that idea. Like, let's empower women uh, to seek help, to ask for help, to get the help they need, to make the decisions that they want. But also being very cautious and aware that empowerment means different things to different people and to different Latinas. So maybe we see empowerment as, oh, you, you know, let's encourage her to move out and live independently and, um, you know, break down these other barriers. But sometimes that's not what's being looked for. So sometimes some, um, their own perspective on the culture is like, I want to live well within the expectations of my culture. And so um, I, I've had, of course, experience delivering therapy um, to Latina clients in Spanish and in English. Um, and I've been on the other side of the couch too. I've received therapy as well. And I know that while I've never had a Latina therapist, I know that it's meant a lot to me when the therapist kind of acknowledges, like, I get that, for example, it's harder for you to make a decision that contradicts what your family wants than maybe um, maybe the average uh, white person in your scenario. So that's not to say that these differences are unique to Latinas, but just the idea that um, there is a cultural component to every decision. And sometimes empowerment means going to more toward mainstream culture and feeling the confidence to do that. And sometimes empowerment means finding satisfaction within um, the traditional expectations of their culture. So it, it really comes down to 
even though it helps to understand the culture, it really comes down to each individual within that therapy room. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Julian. And one thing I want to say is definitely keep on doing what you're doing. So many differences are being made by this young generation of intellectuals that want to make a difference, that are putting the spotlight on cultural, societal issues. And I want to encourage anybody that there's no problem too big or too small to bring to therapy, whatever you're struggling with. There's a therapist that can help you with it. And don't feel that you have to continue treatment with the first person that you see. It's very common to essentially shop around for the right fit because at the end of the day, your relationship with your therapist is going to be a big factor in the work that you do together. So don't hesitate. You're not going to be judged and there's a safe space out there for everyone if you look for it. So thank you.